Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Parenting Teens, looking at principles that can guide your thinking as you try to lead and survive your teenagers. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Today, we're going to talk about training the Iraqi police force. Training the Iraqi police force. I'd like to read a verse out of Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. Paul writes, and he gave some, meaning God, God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And maybe we could also add, and he gave some as parents for the equipping of the little saints uh, for the work of service. And so our, the paradigm I mentioned the other day was uh, that it's been helpful to us is paradigm of preparing, of training the Iraqi police force because we, and at this point, have invaded Iraq and have accomplished a regime change and uh, it's been a while and we would like to come home but the key to that is that the Iraqis can take care of their own country and so the key to our exit strategy is training training them to do what we've been doing if you look at your look at your sheet well let me let me let me open with a word of prayer then Lord, we just pray that you'd be with us today, and we pray that these, these thoughts and the, this interaction would be helpful to us as we think about how we can be more helpful to the teenagers that you've put in our lives, and eventually we'll be interacting with other families, Lord, who uh, later on will have teenagers, so help us to be, not only do a better job, but also be be available to help others who are going through the same struggles. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess that sort of assumes you're going to have struggles. I mean, maybe it's going to go easy. I talked with one family that helped us a whole lot in Argentina. Uh, and the father, that well, these parents, I learned uh, more about parenting probably than from just about any other parents I've ever met. And he's going to be the speaker at our men's retreat in August. So we'll put in a little plug. He's been the main mentor in my whole life, Christian life. But uh, one of the things they did when the child was uh, approaching 13, in other words, approaching becoming a teenager, because it's not a 12-teen, you know, it's a, a 12 and then 13. And so that's officially when they become teenagers, although they do seem to be like the trees outside budding, and it, you thought it was still winter. And what they, would, uh, what they saw was is that parents tended to be negative about their kids becoming teenagers. Oh no, here it comes, they're becoming teenagers. You know, and the parents lament to anybody that will listen how difficult it's getting, and it's probably gonna get worse. Mark Twain says, when a child, when a son becomes 13, you should just put him in a barrel and nail the lid on and feed him through the hole in the side. And when he turns 15, you should just plug up the hole. So there's a general negative sort of a connotation with teenagers. You don't ever hear people saying, oh boy, I can't wait till my kids are teenagers. 
But in the, uh, this, this, this family, the Stanleys, uh, realized that in the Jewish culture they had a bar mitzvah which was to celebrate that the, the child was becoming a teenager in a sense. Well, to them it was an adult back then, you know, on the farm. <laughs> These 13 men, uh, you're going to put it to work. So uh, they were happy to have him big and getting stronger. And so they would have a bar mitzvah. And so this family thought, well, what, what can we do that's sort of like that? And they had, did something that they called the teen challenge. And they would have a couple of things that their kids would have six months to do from age 12 and a half to 13. And this is living overseas. I mean, in America, you got so many activities, you don't necessarily need to add any more activities. But the, the thought is interesting because they wanted to find some way to make it a positive experience for the, that the child's becoming a teenager instead of a, oh, brother, here we go. And so they, we ended up doing that with our kids, again, because we were overseas. But each one of our kids wrote, wrote a book by the time they were 13. They had some physical goals, social goals. They would plan a, plan a party, invite people, get everything set up, run the party, the games, the refreshments and everything, clean up afterwards. You know, a lot of things like that. Uh, Annie wrote her first novel, uh, Life and Death on Dragon Island. And uh, I've got them published. They're a little, you know, on the computer and everything. Uh, and I got them bound and sent them to the grandparents. But uh, the, the point there was when kids are turning, uh, it come, becoming teenagers, the biggest thing they're struggling with is their insecurities. Am I going to make it uh, out in the world? I mean, I know my, you know, I kind of, I've got my family. For better or worse, I've got them. They're sort of in, in my pocket. You know, it doesn't always go that well, but I've got them. But I don't know if I'm going to get anything else. I don't know if I'm going to get any friends. I don't know if anybody for the other, uh, of the opposite sex is going to like me. I don't know if I'm going to do well in sports. I don't know if I'm going to do well in school. And so they enter into a time of really wondering, are they cut out for this life? And so if we add on to that a whole negative thing about, oh, brother, on top of that, you're a teenager. That's like, man. Uh, so they, by, by doing this kind of Christian bar mitzvah, this, this teen challenge with some tasks, and then a, a bigger party than normal, it, it helps launch the child into, into the teenage years, having already accomplished something. So anyway, just a thought, but, but the point is, is get over being negative. Don't project a negative view on it. Say, well, it's either going to go bad or horrible, and we're just going to see if we can just make it through this. And you know who the problem is. It's obviously not me. It's you. So they really don't feel like they can win, but they know they can lose. And uh, you're sort of expecting it. So let's look at the areas to be secured. And again, we'll sort of follow through the, uh, the paradigm of, uh, or this picture of training the Iraqi police force. The areas to be secure, that's sort of a military term, but dress, how they dress, and they're grooming. What in the world did you do with your hair? Why did you cut off half of your ear? Second, their room, their living space. The second law of entropy seems particularly strong in the teen years, and everything very quickly looks like a bomb went off in it. Third, chores, their uh, contribution to the welfare of the home, taking out the trash or, or whatever that might be. And one of the reasons why that's important is because is that's part of life. Wherever you live in community, you have to carry part of what goes on. 
Otherwise, no one's going to want to live with you. And this is going to be a, lazy, uh, a lonely person the rest of their lives. So part of them having a happy life is learning to serve and serve cheerfully. Dream on, eh? The use of the car is an area to be secured. Uh, two of my children, uh, well, my youngest two are 17 and 19, and they're still working on learner's permits, and I, I really can't get them behind the wheel. There are worse problems, but uh, we, we're going to have to solve that one sometime. Language, the words they use, uh, profanity, and attitude. They may say perfectly reasonable and decent words, but their, their attitude is just so horrible you know, what do you mean by that tone of voice? Six, homework and their schoolwork. Seven, their behavior at school. And we, just about everybody in here probably uh, at times misbehaved in school. So, I mean, you reproduce after your own kind. So even if you don't, if you think everything's okay, it's not necessarily okay. It's just that they're just as good as you were at keeping your parents in the dark. <laughs> Curfew, what time are they going to come in? Because in the teen years, they're more mobile, they're more social, and it always seems to get later. Well, back in my day, we had to be at home at, you know, and times change, but, and in Argentina, it was really tough because the 15-year-olds would go out and wouldn't want to come back home till about 3 in the morning. And we had to figure all that out with the addition of uh, foreign culture. Their choice of friends. Tell me who you walk with. What is it? Proverbs 13, 20. Uh, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 13, 20. And uh, much of what happens in your teenagers' lives will be determined by who they hang around with. But what can you do about that? And tenth, dating, if that comes up. What are the potential difficulties? Uh, this is not necessarily a slam dunk, smooth sailing. Think of all the things that could happen as you uh, get out your antidepressants. Uh, they could flunk out. I mean, not just do poorly, not just not get the best scholarship. They could uh, be caught lying, stealing, smoking, drinking. They could try out drugs, uh, sexual immorality. They could commit a crime. They could end up in jail. Teenagers are doing these things all the time. They could be in a car accident. They could be uh, guilty of bullying. There could be an eating disorder. They could think of suicide or each actually attempt it or actually succeed, as some friends of mine had. A Christian home, full-time Christian worker. The daughter just got depressed over uh, uh, her boyfriend had died uh, on a missions trip. And they went in her room and she'd hung herself. Cheating, STDs, AIDS, pregnancy, abortion, pornography, violence, profanity. In the first 10 years, it was like, look both ways before you cross the street, you know, and quit picking up things off the floor and putting them in your mouth, which is a problem. But the, compared to these, that was really elementary. So the, the stakes go up so high in the teen years. And your ability to be with them all the time and protect them goes way down. And it's easy for it to be a time of high anxiety for the parents. Let's just face it. I mean, 
good grief. I mean, you do love this kid as much as you are frustrated with him. And uh, you want them to survive till they're 25. And sometimes you wonder if they're going to make it or if they're going to be such disasters that it's kind of all over. And in the meanwhile, of course, you have to live with the ups and downs of image. I said, that's your son? Yes, that's my son. Is that your daughter? Yes, that's my daughter. And that reflects on you. So there's a whole host of things. It's not just related to them. It's also related to you. And frankly, who wants to live in a hell hole where there's yelling all the time and even with all of that energy expended, you feel like things are getting worse, not better. It's not the Cold War. There are real bombs flying. People are getting hurt. And uh, some of those scars that in the teen years, they'll last the rest of a person's life. Have I totally depressed you? We want to talk about we're going to talk about now about some things that will I mean it's a mess in Iraq also. But hey, as as my friend said one time, he was coming home from work. He'd set up this business as a missionary. He'd set up a business, a tent making business in Colombia, which is, you know, a, a difficult place anyway, highest one of the highest murder rates in the world, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they'd set up a business to, to uh, uh, hire the locals and to be a good witness in the community. But it was hard, horribly hard. They, they put all of their, their inheritance into this thing to make it go. And walking home one day under all this pressure, he said, Lord, if it weren't for my wife and kids, I'd just ask you to kill me right now. Take me out of this. I just, I just can't take it. And he goes home and kind of pours out his heart to his wife. And, and she says, well, Jim... You're a big boy, and big boys do hard things. Well, gee, thanks. <laughs> I guess I needed that. Like, slap out of it, snap out of it, you know. This isn't a time to be depressed. This isn't a time to say, oh, well, I, I guess we'll never make it. No, you are the head of the army. You're the captain of the ship. And even if the ship goes down, man, you don't want to be back there in your in your quarters popping pills while the ship goes down. I mean, maybe we can pull this thing out. And the Lord has confidence in you. He's given you his word. He's committed to not only helping your teenager, but he's, he's doing a little remedial work with you. That's part of why it's so hard. It's not just your teenager that has to change and grow. You have to change and grow. But it can all be good. And a lot of times it looks worse while you're in it than afterwards. So let's look at some... Uh, counterproductive training techniques when we think about the Iraqis and our teenagers you have one extreme over here which is do nothing and the other extreme what would the other extreme be do everything martial law we have a military dictatorship here I am the parent you are the child, serf, servant, any way you want to. Define that. I say you do. Now, let's just suppose in Iraq, what, what will happen if we do nothing? In other words, we just leave. See ya. We're done. Chaos, and what's going to happen after time? We're going to be back. Or somebody's going to be back just because we have to. Or we can do everything for them. 
What's the problem with doing that? But things get done, don't they? You're not, you're not going to always be with them, are you? You're temporary. You're like a cast. And whenever a cast is put on a, a limb, the goal is always that the cast won't always be on the limb. What happens to a cast after about two months? It's awful. Man, it smells. And that's how parents get when they're still trying to parent, when they're 25, when their kid's 25. Just come on now, give that kid a little space. And some of you have married people whose parents are still in trying to engage in that way now in your family. And it's like, you know, maybe Seattle is a good place to move to. So the first counterproductive training technique is to abandon them. So you're on your own, you're 13 now, and you can do anything you want. Well, we've already looked at the potential difficulties, and they'll probably go through them all, you know, if left to themselves. The second thing is do everything for them, and like you said, that accomplishes things, but it's very short-sighted because you're eventually not going to be there, and they will be completely unprepared to make decisions and to function. Third, you could yell and scream at them and call them names. Would that help train the Iraqi police force? You idiots! You'll never get this right. I can't believe this. You, over there, get back over here. Now, is that really going to train the Iraqi police? Is that really going to train your teenagers? Uh, make empty threats. Go to your room for the rest of your life. You know, well, I'm not going to, you know, they've got to come out sometime. <laughs> Fifth, hand out lots of cash. Say, so they got all the Iraqi troops here, here. $100 to each one of you. Run your country. We'll see you later. There are parents that try to control their kids just with gifts. What do we call that out in the business world? Bribes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Does that produce moral fiber and great production? No. Now think about those five things. Uh, again, why do those five things not help? They do affect things. It's not as though they don't, they don't accomplish anything. What are, what's the main problems with those five things? Not a single one of those has the effect of strengthening what's inside them. And so the same weakness that they started that period of time with, time passes, and they still have the same weakness, so all you have done is postponed disaster. Just put it off a little bit. Maybe five years, maybe even ten years, but how long probably are they going to live? Uh, you know, if uh, the Lord blesses, they may be around 80 more years. So you just put off ten years out of 80 years, and then they, then they hit it and do everything wrong and suffer the rest of their life the consequences. So you have to pick. There, you have options. There are different ways to handle things. Now, I got a case study here. A daughter comes home. She's a high school junior. She's gotten some. She's normally a good student, A and B student. She comes home, and she's got a C. What would you say if the if the family said, "This weekend you were going to go out with your friends Saturday night. You got to stay home the whole weekend and study." Now she's a junior in high school. And wh why would they say that in the first place? What are they trying to accomplish? Their goal. What, what, and what's their goal? Their goal is they want the child to have 
grade. They want at least a B. Their focus is on the grade. Where should their focus be? What? What caused the grade and what's happening in that person's heart? Because in college, you're not going to be around. And then obviously later on, and you get C's in different sort of ways in life. Relationally, academically, there are different ways that you uh, end up having performed poorly. It can also happen at your job, can't it? Uh, well, what's, what are other ways of handling that? Okay, the same girl comes home, she normally makes good grades, she's got a bad grade, even an F. What, what, are, what, uh, what, are, what are better ways to handle that? What would, what would you think? Look at maybe how she studied, or lack of, or what other things. Maybe she had other activities that week, could be, you know, something else, activity at school, maybe it was a soccer game, or a okay. school, or, you know, just ask her to evaluate, well, how much is it worth spending the time and other things. Okay, right. Maybe she right. doesn't care about grades, or maybe she does. Uh-huh. Well, what if she says, I don't care about grades? Well, okay. If you don't, then okay. you're not. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll see if you do that one. <laughs> but the point is, when you're trying to train the Iraqi police force, you've got to maintain in your mind, I'm not always going to be here. And for better or worse, what that person thinks and what they come to believe is how they're going to live. And so even though in the short run I could maybe get that C to pull up to a B, if I have to do it by doing it for them or yelling at them or making empty threats or handing out cash or something like that, they got a B and the grade, but they still got a D on the inside. Why? Because I did it for them. Or they're doing it because they're begrudging because you're trying to keep up with their studies. Right. To make well, sure they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the, you, do you know your child can always figure out where your eyes are, where your focus is? And they can tell. If your main focus is their performance, uh, you're mostly looking at the grades, you're mostly looking at how they look, you're mostly looking at how they talk, so, something to do with performance, or that you're, you're really looking at how are they growing as a person and respecting that they've got opinions and that they're learning things. So a way of, of uh, bringing that out with what you were saying is to sit down with them and not, not, not you know, get the, the third degree lamp in their face, says, now let's evaluate this. How did this happen? Where were you on the night of June 24th, you know? <laughs> so now this is interesting. So first you want to not react. I can't believe it. This is terrible. Uh, you know, call your husband in. Look at this. This is awful. You know, we got to do something about this. Sound the fire alarm. You know, pull up. Ming, 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 ming. We got a big, we got a red alert here. You need to be cool. Say, huh, first, first thing you ought to say is, boy, these other four grades really look great. And that, that's wonderful how you're, how you're just holding up in there. And uh, it looks like this other grade is a little bit lower. This F here, a little bit lower than that B <laughs> last time. Let me take you out to dinner tonight. Let's talk about that. I just want to hear what you're, what you're learning, what, what's been going on, what kind of pressures, because... You know, I made, I made an F one time, too. It's not, you know, I still am alive. And I, I learned some things from my F, too. So I just want to draw you out 
listen to you. Life isn't about making a particular grade. It's what kind of person you're becoming. I had to become my own person. You're becoming a person. And I'd just like to be hear what you're learning. I'd like to also know if there's something that I haven't been doing that you needed me to do. If you feel like I've been putting enough wind in your sails or somehow dragging you down. And I want to see what kind of uh, conclusions, what, what conclusions you're drawing for your own life from these things. Let's look at some of the effective training techniques. First, teach them how to identify the enemy. If you misidentify the enemy, what's going to happen? Where are you going to shoot all your bullets? At somebody that wasn't the enemy. Who's still around? The enemy. The real enemy. Who do teenagers normally think the enemy is? Aha! Yes! You! Is it why? You're the killjoy. You're the one that puts limits. You're the one that has them tethered. They go out to have fun and you kill it. You have to study. You have to clean your room. These things can't go like this. And you have your sermons and all of these things. And you are the bad guy. Who is the believer's enemy? The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system, and that's very comes in like a gangbuster, doesn't it, in the teenage years. The flesh, hormones, <laughs> that comes in like gangbusters. And there's also an evil, real, personal spirit who hates them and has a horrible plan for their life. And so more and more they need, you know, with the Iraqi police force, if they can't figure out who the enemy is, they can't be the police force. And if your child can't figure out who the enemy is, they can't police their own life. And they have to get to where they can police their own life. Don't be their police. Now, sometimes in extreme situations, you've got to step in just because there's so much at stake. And so you will step in at that point. But your vision is always to step in as less as possible. You know, I have to remember when I'm going down the road and my child is learning to drive. And everything in me besides trying to push a hole through the floor where I'm sitting, is to grab the wheel, no, you know. And sometimes you might have to grab the wheel. The more you, you leave it and can leave it, because it's not, it's not actually a tree, it's just a pothole or whatever, it's just the side of the road, but there's a big shoulder, they learn from that. Second, to provide weapons and train them in how to use them. Again, that's using the Iraqi police force thing. But for them to understand what are, what are the different things at their disposal to deal with all of those, those issues. Lying, stealing, smoking, drinking, drugs. Most of what is going to equip them is the word. It's truth. It's truth that sets people free. And so for them to... to Grow in their understanding. That's why I wanted you to have those, those books on uh, sex education for your kids. Because one of the biggest things Satan can use is misinformation. Pregnant? No, it's real hard to get pregnant. You know, you know STDs? No, just dumb people get STDs. You know, <laughs> you're going to be one too. Provide good information. That's one of, one of the main weapons. But also accountability. They're, they're just different things. But thinking about in whatever area it is, what are the things that they can use to defend themselves? Third, train them in fight or flight. You're not supposed to stick around and fight everything. As uh, Chuck Swindoll said, there's a, there's a name, there's a term for the person who sticks around and argues with temptation, victim. 
There are times when you just need to get out of there and quick and call somebody. My son Thomas is in Germany, and he goes and works out, and there were three saunas, men, women, mixed. And he said, when you, know, when you go into the sauna, you just take off the only thing you have on, which is your towel, fold it up, sit on it. And so he, he, you know, there's a little window on each one, so he glanced in one, it looked like men and women in there, so he kept going, and went into the one with two men in, sat down with his towel. Ten minutes later, a 30-year-old woman comes in, takes off her towel, pulls it up, sits down right next to him. Fight or flight. You know, after about five minutes, a reasonable amount of time had elapsed, and he, he so she wouldn't think he left just because of her. And he, he left. He's a long way off. We wouldn't necessarily have known about the situation. But his Iraqi police force is seems to be functioning. It doesn't even always have to function. Why? Because God has rigged the universe. The universe takes sides. You do things the way that aren't God's way, and you're going to get hurt. You're going to get burned. It's a bad road. You do things that are right and good and according to what God's done, and you get blessed. So you as a parent, you don't have to always be there. Your words and your love and your faith in them should accompany them. And you know, it's uh, one of the things that's most helped you is not your parents' prohibitions and the laws they, they set down. It was their love for you and that they have faith in you and you don't, don't want to let them down. That's what you want to pursue your child the rest of their life. They'll run from your rules, but they'll always be held by your love and your vision for them. Fourth, let them try things and then evaluate. Try not to explode about your kids. Don't overreact, as my wife is always telling me. <laughs> Calm down, Henry. Calm down. Think about it. Cool off. And say, well, let's talk about this. You know, what happened? Why do you think it happened? You like that? Uh, that you chopped off half your ear? Yeah, kind of cool. Oh, okay. Ever thought about chopping the other? I mean, at least be balanced, you know? One on this side, one on the other side. But where you communicate to them, they have a brain. And that you respect their freedom as a human being to look at life and learn something and draw conclusions. And even if you don't agree with their conclusions, give them some room to decide who they want to be. And you just have to take your lumps if that reflects badly on you. I can't believe their son is doing this. But don't be so involved in martial law that, again, they're not learning anything. You want to engage if you want that balance. And connect. Engage is something that's communication in terms of the whatever the issue is. But connect is where you relate to them as a person, as a human being, as an adult in formation. And that's what we were talking about the other day, about relational success. Fifth, well, on, on, uh, let them try things and evaluate. Well, uh, uh, we had one child that said, well, I don't like it when you say, you know, you've got to have your room clean by 5 o'clock or, you know. Yeah, sort of, like, respect me, you know, and I, I, can, I can do this, just, just let me handle it. So we let her handle it for a week, and we said, well, we'll let you handle it for a week, and then we'll evaluate, and if it goes even better than when we give you guidance, then we'll do it that way. Well, the room was a disaster at the end of the week. He says, well, 
how do you feel that went? I think, that didn't go very well. Well, let's, let's try something else. What, do you have any other suggestions how, what you would propose? Again, trying to have martial law as the last resource. Last resort, not the first. Uh, praise and reward, right choices. Many parents only notice when their child does something wrong. So they're kind of walking through a minefield. Every step they take that's good and right, silence. Not even notice. Oh! What did you do there? What did you say? What grade did you make? I mean, good grief. They didn't even notice the other things that I did. And so they feel like they can't win. And you know what's, what's the case? They can't. Because they'll either be adequate, but who's ever adequate? So they'll fail in one point. So, failure. We have so much trouble with you. They did ten things right. They did one thing wrong. And you color everything by that one thing. Josh McDowell in the book says, you need, to, you need to train yourself to catch your kid doing something right and praise them. You made your bed today. It was... I went in and took a picture of it. It was so... I, I don't know that I ever made a bed like that when I was a teenager. You know, like I said, when they come home with one F, it says, boy, these other four classes are just... How are you doing this? This is just great. And this is well, a little F, you know. I mean, you... Everybody has it up sooner or later. You have to sort of know what, what it's like to know how to avoid it. <laughs> Praise and reward right choices. Six, use failure as a learning experience. Uh, what are you learning ab about this? Uh, how does this feel? Uh, does this make you feel sad, proud, glad? Are you feeling different to it? Well, why are you feeling indifferent to it? No, 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 give them some room. It's okay. You're indifferent about some important things. Don't you want a little bit of space? They need that kind of space. It's not the space of silence and abandonment, and I'm not going to even ask you any decent questions and listen. It's the space of, I respect you as a human being, and we're not going to agree on everything, and that's okay. And very important on that, that if you want to jot it down to number six, to share your failures. I, w I went back and was looking at my report cards all the way through elementary school yet last night. I just happened to come across this file. And in first grade, I've got to show this to my kids sometime, every quarter the teacher says, he's doing okay, but he's so slow. He's so inattentive. He doesn't turn in his homework. And I thought, my kids would love this, man. This would be so great to show them that they're doing much better than their dad ever did. You don't know how much that encourages them. That gives them hope. Because, because frankly, they see you basically as a success. And if you as a success overcame failure, then maybe there's hope for them. You've got to keep their hope up. And if all you do is point out where they've gone wrong, and then on top of that, you're negative. Oh, brother, we have teenagers. I mean, how do you think they're going to get out of bed in the morning? No wonder they're looking only to their peers for some encouragement because they're certainly not going to get it at home. They do everything right and they're not even noticed. You're off doing your own thing. But fire alarm sounded? Hey, now, we've got to get on this. How'd that happen? And you wonder why they're grumpy? 
You've been a big help. Seventh, believe in them. How do you express faith? You, uh, you don't take a present negative situation, an F, an earring, <laughs> some kind of a failure in sports, and project out in imaginary, in imagination, and speak to them. You see, at the rate this is going, you're going to lose a scholarship, whatever. Faith can recognize that there's something not right, maybe something horrible right now, and believe that this is an exception. Because I know you're smart enough to figure this thing out. And they are. If you don't mess with the recipe too much, keep putting it back onto them. Say, what are you, what are you getting out of this? Because God has rigged the universe. He, he's, they're dealing with things that are actually right and wrong and, and good and bad, and you get rewarded in your conscience as you do what's right and good. But Jesus said as the, he was about to leave, this is in the upper room, he says, the things that I have done, you will do. And even greater than these because I go to the Father. Now what if he'd been dealing with these disciples as many parents deal with their teenagers? I don't know about you guys. Tonight, you're all going to desert me. One of you is going to betray me. I mean, y'all are a really sorry lot, you know? If I'd have known it was going to be this bad making disciples here on the earth, I don't know if I'd have even bothered. My father was telling me it was going to be bad, and I didn't believe him, but you've proved me wrong. But listen to how Jesus sows faith in their lives. He says, and can you believe he says this? He says to his weak, wimpy disciples and relatively uninformed disciples, all of you know more than the disciples ever knew during the time that Jesus was with them. He looked at them, he says, he says, you know what? You're going to surpass me. How do you think that made him feel? Weird. Like, right. But nevertheless, they treasured it in their hearts probably to their dying day. What have you communicated to your kids? That they're a disaster waiting to happen? Or that they were born to win? Because of the love of God, because of the salvation of Jesus Christ, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit? Have you learned how to sow faith in them? And eighth, it's kind of the same, similar thing, but sow vision. Faith is more, I believe in you now, even though the evidence is to the contrary. Vision is more future. It's a, it's a hope. Because most people, how they are today, they're making it today. Where is their anxiety focused on? It's tomorrow. You know, today isn't going great, but my goodness, what in the world's going to become of me? The first three girls I asked out on dates when I was in 11th grade, they all tore me down. So what am I thinking? No one's ever going to say yes. And there weren't that many afterwards that said yes. So, you know, we, we, we've all gone through different times. You, you make an F and you think, well, maybe this is the beginning of the end. Wendy's mother, one of the greatest things Wendy's mother ever did for her, and I don't know how old Wendy was, but just eight-ish, you know, in her first ten years, she would sit on the end of her bed, of, of Wendy's bed, telling her goodnight, 
And she says, I just believe that God is really going to do something special through your life. That's sowing vision. And the way you sow vision is first you develop it in your heart, because otherwise it's just words. Henry told me to tell you that, no, no, that's not going to, you know, oh, gee, thanks, you know. That's like leftover chicken wings or something, you know. You know, give me something fresh out of your heart, something that you believe. And when I say so vision, please don't read into that so your vision. You are going to be a great football player because you really got some talent there. Just got to get you off your duff. Maybe they don't want to be a football player. Well, they, they got to be a football player. Because I was or I wanted to be. Don't sow your vision. Don't insist on your vision. I was ended up in engineering through a weird set of circumstances and my own stupidity and ignorance, thinking that I was signing up for what the football players take. I mean, I tell you what, it's when you think about what the things you did, no wonder you're worried about your teenagers. But So my oldest son started off in engineering, and it just didn't go well. You know, I'm thinking, well, you just need to study more. And he would agree that he could have studied more, but who couldn't have studied more, let's face it. So finally, he switched out of that into business. It's very important that I cultivate in my own heart a genuine joy and expectation and hope and vision that he is going to become somebody great for God. And it's okay that he's not like his dad. In fact, to the degree I insist on him being like me, he won't be him. He'll be a bad version of me. He'll be a bad version of himself. And me and my overzealous parenting skills, I will have ruined him. Nine, encourage positive opportunities. Their involvement in the youth group, of uh, the different activities that if the youth are going to go skiing uh, uh, on one weekend and a month later they're going to do, go up to the cove and have a spiritual retreat. Think about it. They stand to gain more going to that spiritual retreat. If, they can't, if you can't afford to send them to both, think about it. Which opportunities are going to, that I need to fund and promote if they want to do it? A missions trip, something like that. What are, the, what are the things that are really going to help grab this child's heart for God? And that's, uh, sports are important, but they're not all important, or shouldn't be. Grades are important, but they're not all important. Uh, encourage significant people in their lives. If you, a missionary comes to town, have them over for dinner. Do, do what you can to get around significant people during the second ten years of your child's life. They've heard what you've got to say. And they're listening to others. And to the degree you can affect what others they listen to or are exposed to, uh, at, least by at least including them in, do it. My daughter says the, the best thing she's ever heard or seen in terms of promoting sexual purity among teenagers is a silver ring thing. Make sure your child gets there. And if you find out some, about something better, send them to that. But be thinking about it. Opening doors of opportunity where they're not having to listen to you yet again, but listening to somebody else, because frankly, in the, in the second 20, 10 years of the child's life, everybody else is more in, intelligent than their parents. So that's okay. They'll, they'll come back around, hopefully. 
But in the meanwhile, influence to the degree you can what significant people they, they are around. And tenth, show how the Christian life has to do with all of life. I had one college senior at the University of South Carolina say that was the main way he felt like his parents had failed him. They ended up communicating that the Christian life has to do with what you do at church. And then the rest of life is sort of like, whatever. He said, I wish they'd have talked about what the, the Christian life had to do with all of life. What does the Christian life have to do with eating, with image, with money, with friendship, with reconciliation? Now I want you to think for a moment as we finish here, what have I tried to do with you? We've been in a class, in a class on parenting teens. There are a lot of things that you can do right. There are a lot of things that you can do wrong. And I've been having a class to try to train you. Now, what if I had brought you into this class and I just said, well, do whatever, you know. Why don't we get in some more Cinnabons here and have some coffee? I'll just tell George we had a good time. I could have abandoned you, just leave you with whatever you got. Or I could have tried to do everything for you and say, this week I want you to do this and this and this and this. At 5 o'clock this Thursday, I want you to do this with your kids. And, and, and at the Wednesday night su supper, I want you to sit here. I want you to ask these questions. And you've got to do it and report on it next week. How about if I'd have yelled and screamed at you and called you names? Y'all are some of that. I, I can't believe it, you know. How about if I'd have made empty threats? We're going to throw you out of the church if you don't get this right. How about if I'd have gone around and given $100 to each of you? And promise you even more if you did what I said. Would those things have trained you at the task you have? What did I do? I tried to teach you how to identify the enemy. I tried to provide some things that will help you. Let you try things, evaluate. We did case studies. One of the main things I did was I treated you like an adult. That you're intelligent. That you're motivated. That you want the thing to work. I left you at the driver's wheel. I didn't uh, each week give you the third degree. And frankly, you're still in control of your home situation, for better or worse. But you feel like maybe you've learned some things. And maybe not even any things I said. But as you were sitting there, God worked in your heart. And one seed that was planted, you think, now I'm really going to keep, keep on that. Now, if that was the more helpful way to train you in parenting your teens, think about, that's what I need to do with my teens. Because that's how you work with adults. I've been training you in the same way I've talked to you about training your teenagers. Go thou and do likewise. And maybe you'll improve on what little bit I've been able to come up with. The last thing I want to say before we pray is I want to tell you that I believe in you. And you are the best parents that your kids could have. And you can be better. And I believe you're going to be better. Now, didn't that feel good? Even if some of you are doubting, there are a few of you that have such great self-esteem that you're thinking, oh, he has no idea what a great parent I am. That's okay. <laughs> that will change. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we worship you today greatest parent of all, our Heavenly Father, and we have embarrassed you many times, and if you could be frustrated, we have frustrated you, but you've been cool about it, 
you've spoken to us, you've disciplined us, you still love us, you believe in us, and we believe in you. And we could have been even worse than we've been, Lord, and you know that we're going to be even better because you're at work. I pray for your blessing and anointing of the Holy Spirit to be on these parents that want to learn, want to grow, want so much for their children to grow up and to prosper. And we pray that they will for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.